Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he loves a huge mana curve. It's Matt Morgan. I got yelled at. I was on vacation in Hawaii and I was laughing very loudly. They said, that's not allowed. We only allow aloha. I like that. I really like that. I so, Sometimes, it's, Matt, you take me on a journey, and I like that the journey you took me on was to Hawaii. That makes me it, happy. It was very tropical, and I'm glad that it uh, it was a slow burn, but it, it caught up to you, and I'm, I'm glad for it. So good. Oh, that's one of my favorite intro jokes ever. Up next, he loves to play with our friend Chase, a.k.a. Mana Curves. That's Dana Roach. Um, so when this show airs, um, we have about seven weeks until Caldheim spoilers start, which is the longest gap we've had in like the last year. So I think we probably can just go on vacation now, I think, until then and just punch out. Is that something we can do? Is that an option? Are you saying going on vacation while everyone's brewing with Commander Legends cards? I mean, if, if not now, when? All right. You know what? Fair enough. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we are talking about this week? We are going to talk about those mana curves, and we're going to talk specifically about the commanders with the highest mana curves currently in the format. That we are. This is sort of part one of two. We're going to take a look at the commanders that have the highest mana curves in this episode. And the next episode, we'll be taking a look at the commanders with the lowest mana curves, the lowest average CMC among all of their decks. So it should be really, really fun to see what commanders are swinging with the biggest and the nine drops and the 10 drops. And then also the commanders that are, you know, sitting down there with a bunch of one drops in their deck too. But before we get to our topic today, we want to give a huge thank you to Josh Lee Kwai and the entire team at the Command Zone podcast. They handle all of the post-production work on our cast and make it look as awesome as it does. So thank you so much. And of course, we want to give a thank you to our sponsors for the show too. Yeah, we are sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom has a fantastic buy list if you have unused cards you want to part with and uh, use that store credit to buy new cards like this uh, Aetherflux Reservoir I have right here in hand that I just got in today. (laughs) We are also sponsored by TCG Player, which has a ridiculously deep list of individual sellers who can get you any card in any condition that you would ever possibly want. So just go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question and follow the link below to the site of your choice. Doing so supports both the site and the show. Or if you would like to skip all that, you don't need to purchase any cards. You can support us directly by going to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have all sorts of patron tiers available for whatever you're looking to get out of it. And we appreciate all the support you uh, give us, whether it's joining the Discord, hanging out, telling some dad jokes there, or say you want to listen to the episodes a day early. We have a tier for that as well. We even have a tier for shouting out a patron every single week because we do appreciate all the support. So Kate Hopkins, thank you so much for your support. We appreciate it. And thank you for still supporting us, even though I didn't bring you anything back from my vacation to Hawaii, where I learned all about proper <laughs> laughing etiquette. Oh, no. Uh, thank you so much for the support. And actually, I kind of want to go back a quick thing. Dana, did you just say that you got a new Aetherflux Reservoir? I have to ask, what is it that you're planning on doing that? Because I feel threatened. I, I think I'm probably going to spend 50 life and deal 50 damage to one of you two more often than not. 
Well, I'm going to make sure that I keep a redirect or some type of effect <laughs> to make sure it doesn't hit me, I guess. I mean, as long as Dana does it on twitch.tv slash EDHRETCast, I don't mind what <laughs> nice. he does with it. Well done, Matt with the plugs. All right, let's get now to our main topic. We are talking about the highest mana curves in EDH, the commanders that have the highest on average converted mana cost among their stuff. Um, there's a couple of caveats, I guess, about how we drew this data that we want to quickly get out of the way before we hop right in. Uh, so, you know, as always with all of our episodes when we're looking at top tens or top fives or anything like that, the most popular commanders, we're only going to be talking about the commanders that have over 100 decks to their name because commanders that only have two decks to their name. It doesn't matter if they're playing a whole bunch of 10 drops. No one's really playing them. So we're not going to be talking about any commanders that aren't popular enough above that particular threshold. Um, and then the other thing that we want to mention is that all of this data was drawn in sort of mid-November of 2020, and we use the average deck feature on EDHREC to get the average deck and then average out the mana costs that we find there. So that is how we are getting all of this data to see which commanders have those really high average mana costs so that we can see which ones are slugging around with the huge 8 drops and huge 9 drops and stuff like that. And I have a slight suspicion that Matt it might be a lot of your decks just a theory yeah it would not surprise me as we get through this list that there are several of my decks that are going to make their way into this list but one thing we do want to make sure that we point out too is give some context to the numbers that we're going to go over we're going to throw around a lot of numbers but if it, you don't understand what they mean it's not really going to help so when we say uh, there's a CMC of a certain certain commander we're going to talk about the average converted mana cost of all the spells and all basically non-lands in that commander's deck. So if we say Moldrotha has an average CMC of 2.92, it's not because Moldrotha the Gravetide actually costs 2.92 mana, that's very wrong. It's because the average mana cost of the spells in the deck evens out to 2.92 converted mana cost. Uh, we're also gonna measure how many cards with a CMC of six or greater might be in any given deck. Uh, Moldrotha only has two, for example, which means there's a lot of low cost spells in the deck to bring that average down to that 2.92. Uh, similarly, something like Golwolf Terrorless Pilgrim has an average CMC of 3.6, which is significantly higher than what you have with Moldrotha's 2.92. Um, and then when you kind of break down that cards at CMC 6 or higher, you're looking at 12 in a Golos deck, which makes sense given the average CMC being 3.6. So as you can kind of see, it's, it's not really a scale of 1 to 10. We're operating <laughs> on a scale kind of, of 2 to 6. And obviously, the more high CMC cards in the deck, the higher the average CMC is. Yeah, that's just it. Like, there's no, there's not going to be a commander where the average, con, you know, converted mana cost across the deck is going to be like an eight or something that just doesn't exist. But there's also, it's never going to approach one or zero either because there is so much actually going on in a commander's deck. And it's kind of cool to see that there is that difference between the commanders that have that average mana cost at like, you know, three or something, but then they might have a whole lot of expensive cards that bring it up because their strategy, Dana, like you mentioned with Golos, can cast free spells. So you want a good number of high cost stuff, but then also a whole lot of low cost stuff to help you ramp into those potentially as well. Or Moldrotha can have a whole bunch of little stuff to cast. Like, that's really interesting. But I also like what you guys did there, providing a sort of a good basis on like where the averages kind of fall, because I think the, I think that's pretty important for us to point out here, too. Remember an episode we did way, way back ago? It was probably over a year and a half ago. It was episode 71, where we observed the changes in data trends over time when we shifted EDHREC to observing the data from the past two years. 
which we did to sort of help keep us a bit more a bit more present, a bit more current with the data that we're measuring so that it doesn't get bogged too much from the past and we can observe more recent trends in data. What we saw on that episode was really fascinating because we saw that the average converting mana cost of decks across all of EDHREC was trending downward. At that time, we saw it trended downward from 3.51 to 3.39. And that was in about early 2019. Well, we've measured it again now and things are still getting streamlined. They're still trending downwards. Now the average mana cost above uh, across all of the decks amongst EDHREC, now it's down to 3.33. So things really are streamlining. And that 3.33 is about where average kind of sits for, you know, decks mana curves. So the commanders that we're going to be talking about today are the ones that have much higher than that. Even though, again, it's not going to reach up to 10, it is still going to be a lot higher than the 3.33 that we're seeing. Now, now, Joe, you say that a deck with the average CMC is, it, it, could, it could never be eight, but I hear a lot of listeners taking that as, well, that's just a challenge. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> challenge accepted. That's, uh, that's, I can totally get behind that. And uh, Matt, I think that that is perfect for you, Mr. Big Green Face Smashy Person, to definitely spearhead that type of campaign for sure. I, I've already tried. I'll keep up the good work, though. Fantastic. How about we get into it now with all of that laying of the groundwork out of the way now that we know sort of where the averages are and the types of numbers that we might be seeing. Let's just get into it. We're going to talk about the top 10 commanders that have the highest uh, mana averages. They have the biggest mana curves in the game. Matt, take us to number 10. Who do we got? So number 10 is Karthus, Tyrant of Jund. So he's starting us off by being a seven mana commander by himself. So that's it's a good start, you might say. Um, Karthus is a four and then Jund colors legendary dragon, big seven, seven with flying in haste. And when Karthus enters the battlefield, you gain control of all dragons, you untap them, and then all your dragons have haste. So basically you're kind of insurrectioning for all the other dragons. It's pretty mean, it's pretty nasty. Uh, so there's 145 decks for Karthus out there. The average converted mana cost is 4.57. And that seems to be about right when you consider Karthus is all about dragons and dragons usually, they're not gonna cost two mana, you might say. Uh, they're <laughs> going to be big and there's 24 cards in the Karthus deck that have a CMC of six or higher. Well, a little anecdotal comment on that. Um, a few years back, I had built a Lathless Dragon Queen deck, uh, Mono Red, and you know it, it makes dragon tokens whenever you cast a dragon spell. So one of the things I wanted to do with the deck was to play dragons and then bounce them and recast them again. So I wanted really efficient dragons, which meant like four and five drops. That was considered a really <laughs> efficient dragon. And like, oh, it's only four mana. That's, that's really lean here on the curve in this deck. Dang it. That's uh, Dana... You would. <laughs> Sorry, I, that might sound a little bit catty of me, but no, I'm just like Dana would try and find two drop dragons if he possibly could. With there's the a couple. Place. There's a couple bad like dragon whelp kind of ones. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, no, Dragon Tribal is definitely, you know, it's never going to be an inexpensive strategy. And actually, if we uh, take a look through just, you know, we're going through the top 10, but Behind the scenes information here, among the top 20, there were some other dragon tribal commanders too, like the Ur-Dragon, for example. So dragons just in general are very, very expensive. They've got a bunch of cards like Udvara Hellkite, uh, Bladewing the Risen, those also show up on Karthus's page. So dragons is a very, very high cost strategy for sure. So dragons is a nice base for us to start off with number 10, feeling really good. 4.57 was a really big, uh, you know, average mana cost compared to the average that we were talking about earlier. So 
if that's where we're starting, it's only going to go up from here. Dana, do you feel comfortable taking us to number nine and getting us even farther up high this mana curve? Certainly. Uh, number nine, we have Bosch Iron Golem. Uh, Bosch is an eight mana golem uh, for a six, seven with trample, and it has three and a red sacrifice an artifact, and Bosch Iron Golem deals damage equal to the sacrificed artifact's converted mana cost to any target. Um, so there's 253 decks, um, and the average CMC in the database is 4.61, and it has 22 cards with CMC six or more. Um, but there's a lot of them as well that are in the four and five range. So um, there's a lot of big numbers in a Bosch Iron Golem deck, and it, it's mostly artifacts that, that Bosch is going to sacrifice to throw at people. So <laughs> cards like Spine of Isha or Metalwork Colossus, um, Ancient Stone Idol is in there. But even the mana rocks tend to be like expensive mana rocks because they're doing double duty to cast your your spells and be you know a, a fling option with Bosch. So things like Dreamstone Headrend that maybe don't show up on a lot of decks because it's so expensive is much more useful here than it is somewhere else. Yeah, I love that observation about Bosch. Like, in, I think of artifacts as being, like, really, really cheap because I'm so used to the commanders that can, like, you know, draw cards whenever you cast a bunch of artifacts, you want a bunch of little tiny artifacts. But Bosch is here to be like, nah, they're huge and they hurt. And I love that even the mana rocks can play into that strategy and it makes me um, more afraid of artifacts than I already was, if that's possible. Wait, and the commander costing eight mana doesn't, well, that do doesn't your, help. <laughs> right, it doesn't do your average CMC a lot of good either. Indeed. And actually, um, commanders costing eight mana... I don't know, that might end up being a trend throughout the rest of this episode. In fact, it is a trend for our next commander in the number eight position. That commander is Slinvoda, the Rising Deep, an eight mana, eight, eight Leviathan, which has a kicker cost of one and a blue, so you can pay even more mana for it if you don't want to just spend eight. He says marginally, sarcastically. <laughs> uh, when Slinvoda the Rising Deep enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, you bounce all creatures except for merfolk, krakens, leviathans, octopuses, and serpents. And I'm reading the card directly there. I know that the actual word should be octopi, but magic cards are templated weird. Technical anyway, Joey, it's octopode. <sighs> I don't. <laughs> I don't Dana, think that's right, but I, I'm I think it's 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 absolutely correct. So for all the listeners, you now know that the plural of octa uh, octopus is octopode. I feel like it's octopi, and now okay, I'm thinking now about, about three point one four. How about that that slim <laughs> voda card, guys? <laughs> Dana, the master of destabilization. All right. Uh, so, yeah, Slinvoda's average uh, CMC that we're seeing across its hundred different decks is 4.61. It has 24 cards that have a mana cost of six or higher. So we've got cards like Stormtide Leviathan. We've got cards like Serpent of Yawning Depths, Deep Sea Kraken. It is just a sea monster tribal deck, which obviously fits right in with Slinvoda's strategy. Will the real Slinvoda please stand up? This is a very high cost commander, just like the Dragon Tribal that we were seeing earlier well all the all the crack eye as dana would probably tell me to <laughs> tell me to say all the krakens is uh it's it's not it's not hard to find one that costs five six seven mana so yeah if, if your deck is all about balancing everything but those krakenses uh then yeah go for it slim vote is a good option 
I think it's croak would be the the, um, the portal of of Kraken. We have absolutely got to be done. Matt, can you please move us on? Take take us to number seven before Dana invents some other strange collective nouns for everything. (laughs) I I sure can. So uh, Perforos the Bronze Blooded is number seven on this list. Um, There's 548 decks, excuse me, for Perforos Bronze Blooded. The average converted mana cost is 4.75. That makes a lot of sense, though, when you look at Perforos as a commander, uh, obviously he has the indestructible and the, the god clause, not a creature unless you have a devotion uh, equal to five. But the activated ability is kind of what Perforos likes to drill in on. Um, you can pay two and a red, put a red creature card or an artifact creature card from your hand onto the battlefield, then you sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So it doesn't really matter if the average converted mana cost is 4.75. You're only paying three mana anyways to <laughs> essentially sneak attack those creatures in. Uh, 27 cards in the average Perforos bronze blood-eyed deck. Uh <laughs> that are going to have a CMC of six or more. Joy, I appreciate you giggling at my terrible attempt (laughs) to continue Dana's joke. Why do people listen to our podcast? We tell the worst jokes in the world. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. I'm out of observations. I might be done for the rest of the podcast based off this is going. I really enjoy Perforos as a commander, and I enjoy that all of these, uh, these mana costs are a little bit deceptive in his case because you're not actually ever paying as much mana as these creatures cost because Perforos will just do cool sneak attack things instead. Yeah, you you don't have to worry about paying eight mana because you're just paying three mana and then you're probably doing something with like uh, ending the turn early, maybe making Mm. sure you don't actually have to sacrifice those creatures. You're going to do something weird with this deck. Uh, It's very exciting. It's not too far off from my sneak attack tribal deck that I have with Vivictus Asmati, which also probably has an average converted mana cost of about five and a half, (laughs) six. I do. It's a lot. I do specifically, I I do in fact recall you saying, hmm, what's that new card from the set that someone recommended? Oh, it's six mana to cast that? That thing's way too low. It needs to be much, much bigger. It's too cheap. Too cheap. <laughs> All right. Speaking of six, actually, let's take us to, to number six. And number six is is um, in a similar vein to Perforos, and I think we're going to see this trend moving forward. The first three decks we looked at here were ones that had high CMC because how the deck is designed, you're encouraged to play things and don't really have a choice in the case of dragons and sea creatures. Well, Perforos is encouraging you to play high CMC so you can cheat those costs. And I think we're going to see a few more things like that moving forward, including uh, number six here, Myelvi Anima. So Myelvi Anima is in Naya colors, and she's just three to cast, uh, a red, a green, and a white for a elf shaman. And you can spend three and Naya, so six total, to tap her and look at the top five cards of your library. And you may put a creature card with power five or greater from among them onto the battlefield and the rest go to the bottom of your library. So... Uh, there's 912 uh, Myel decks in our database. Um, the average CMC here is 4.89. So oh. we're, we're, we're encroaching on five territory here pretty, pretty quickly. There we uh, are. 27 cards in the deck with CMC six or greater, um, all of which probably have power five or greater to, to <laughs> requirements for Myel. Um, signature cards are things like Avacyn and uh, Gisela, some big beater angels, Terastodon. Basically, any ginormous creature is going to find a home in this deck. If, if I may um, do a good impression of Matt when he's uh, playing with us on our stream, twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast, um, my big creatures go burr. They do go burr. Is that an accurate they impression? Do. Uh, but it, it, when Myel just does such a good job at just 
you get to choose something off the top of your library, throw it on the battlefield, no strings attached. You might actually remember on twitch.tv slash EDHRECCast, Corbin <laughs> Hostler came on and played a Mile the Animal deck, and I would wager that his average CMC was right around this 4.89 that we are seeing along with the other decks on the website. What I find especially interesting about a commander like Mael is that the low ramp spells like a Farseek or maybe even Signets if Mael deigns to use them, those smaller mana cost ramp spells are not dragging the mana cost down all that much. Or if they are, that's just a testament to really how many huge creatures she's playing to have a good enough density of them for her ability to be reliable in actually finding one off of the top of her library. Well, because for every two drop Arcane Signet that you have, even if you average that out with the seven drop angel that you're going to flip into play, I mean, that still puts it at the average CMC of 4.5. So, mm. I mean, even if, you're, even if you're just doing a 50-50 split with those low CMC ramp spells with the big CMC beaters, yeah. you're still going to have a pretty significant number. Myel also costs six to activate versus the sneak attack on Perforos. You know, you don't have to be running something ginormous necessarily to get pretty good value out of Perforos. When you're spending six on Myel, you probably don't want to be running things that cost six to cast. You probably want to be running things that cost nine or 10 or, you know, 12 or something to really right. get the maximum value. So that probably makes a big swing in this CMC as well. Yeah, I can totally see it. All right, let's move on now. We're going to number five. Our number five was a curious one, I think. It's Demon Lord Bells Unlock. That's the six mana, six, six Elder Demon with Flying and Trample. And when it enters the battlefield, you exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card and then put that card into your hand. If the card's converted mana cost is four or greater, you repeat this process and Demon Lord Bells Unlock deals one damage to you for each card put into your hand this way. About 108 18 decks to uh, Demon Lord Bezenlock's name here, and the average converted mana cost that we're seeing bumping ever so slightly higher is 4.93. I was surprised to see this one at first because I just it had been a long time since I thought about Demon Lord Bezenlock, but at the same time, this commander's ability is directly dedicated to playing really big creatures, so it wants to have a whole lot of, well, sorry, not creatures, just really big cards. It wants big mana costs so that it can use that ability to find even more cards to get into hand. Notably, there are only 14 cards in the deck that have a mana cost of six or higher, which sounds like a far cry from the 27s and the 28s and stuff that we were talking about with other commanders. But if we look at the converted mana cost of five slot, for example, Demon Lord Bells and Lock runs an average of 13 cards that cost five mana. Or if we look at the converted mana cost four slot, for example, he runs 16 cards on average that have a mana cost of four. So there is a lot of crowding, especially in the middle section for Bells and Lock that is giving him such high numbers. Yeah, with with some of the other decks, like Myel, for example, you're probably wanting to run relatively lean ramp spells since you're going to be spending so much money on her ability or, you know, fairly efficient removal spells, things like that. That mm -hmm. isn't the case with Belsnog necessarily because you can hit anything off the ability. So a removal spell like Snuff Out that has a high CMC on the card is much more useful in this kind of deck than it would be somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And that's totally the kind of stuff that we see on this commander's page, Snuff Out, Unmask. They have these alternate casting costs so they can be cast for cheap, but they're still within his ability range. And that makes it uh, really, really cool. And I'm just glad to be reminded of this awesome demon bro because demons are awesome and plain black is awesome and um i feel like matt is giving me some side eye because he thinks that the big <laughs> creatures are way more awesomer uh so i think matt what i'll do is pass it off to you can you tell us quickly about our number four so the next one we have coming up is is continuing that kind of trend of cheating things into play like dana was talking about 
Only this one, you don't pay mana at all. You know, there's no activation cost to it. Uh, instead, it's symmetrical. So that commander is going to be Braids Conjurer Adept. Uh, Braids is four mana, so two blue blue for a 2-2 human wizard. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player may put an artifact, creature, or land card from their hand onto the battlefield. So no activated abilities. You got to pay zero um, just at the cost of giving everybody else some big nasty things maybe. Uh, so there's 528 decks for Braids Conjure Adept out there. Average converted mana cost of 4.96. Oh, so close to that that five <laughs> CMC threshold, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. 27 cards have a CMC of six or greater in the average Braids Conjure Adept deck. So you can cheat in some pretty nasty things like Oh, say a Jinkataxis if you're if you're Joey and oh so cruel to the rest of the table. <laughs> uh, Scourge of Fleets if you just want to do some big Kraken Eye things to the table. It's <laughs> it's a pretty nifty looking deck. I'm happy DJ of Jumbo Commander noises. That's that's all I can think right now. It's just <laughs> yeah, like he's yeah, a signature deck right here, and it's great too because this is a commander that is really. Well, assuming you've constructed it correctly, is going to take advantage of that ability way more often than anyone else is going to be able to do. So you will cheat in way more threatening stuff than anyone else can. Yeah, I think this is another example of a situation too where you are rewarded for playing the largest things you possibly can. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's a you know five drop or a fourteen drop. Right. You're still putting in a play for free, so why not take advantage of that and play those the biggest, meanest things you can? Very much indeed. All right, so that brings us to our top three. But before we get to our top three of the commanders that have the biggest average converted mana cost, the craziest mana curves, we're going to take a brief pause and challenge some stats. It's our favorite segment here on the EDH Trackcast because there's a lot of data on EDH Track, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think the cards are seeing too much play, and sometimes they're seeing too little play. So what we like to do is challenge those stats to give some credit to them where sometimes they don't always deserve it or sometimes they deserve more. I don't know. I'm sort of rambling now. Dana, take us to your challenge. What you got this week? So so my challenge is a relatively new card um, and it actually is in more decks than I thought. It's in 3,500 decks. Mm. It's just a card that I very rarely see and I still think 3,500 is relatively low for how impactful it is. And that's Vona's Hunger from back in the Ixalan block. Uh, it's an instant for two and a black and it says each opponent sacrifices a creature and if you have the city's blessing instead each opponent sacrifices half the creatures they control rounded up uh, the city's blessing is relatively easy to get in commander but even if you don't have it three mana for an instant speed forcing everyone to sacrifice one creature is almost always still really good and if they if, if you're casting it on turn five it was the point in the game when you usually have the city's blessing um that's can be devastating sometimes and for how efficient it is and how almost always useful it is uh, I, I think it should be in more than just 3500 decks this would go great alongside decks that want to play Salt Shatter, which is a recent challenge yeah. of mine. Also a really, really good card. Yeah, mm -hmm. just a super great. Like if you're looking for extra copies of Crackling Doom Effects, I do love this card. I love so much that you guys are finally subscribing to the Mono Black, make everyone sacrifice all of their stuff train like I've been trying to get you to do for mm. nigh 140 episodes now. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it for you. I choose my cards <laughs> for me, not for Joey. I, I will point out, too, the, the instant speed is a really big deal. Instant speed is always good, but it's especially good in this kind of effect because you have a situation where you're not sure if, like, do I want to cast this right now? And then someone goes to put a weak creature in play. You can mm -hmm. just, before it resolves, sneak this in quick to get the value before they have the obvious sack fodder in play to to 
to sacrifice to this. So that makes a big deal. Also really great for Masaryk Kral Death Priest, who gets even bigger when other yep. uh, people sacrifice stuff. It's, uh, it's yep. really, really awesome, and it makes me very, very happy indeed. Uh, I'm going to move on to my challenge now. Mine is a bit of a weird one, but it is some that I actually have some personal experience with. I've mentioned before, probably tons of times on the podcast, that my entire family plays Magic, and my mom has just recently built a new Flyers deck. And initially, we went with Innie as the Gale Force to get that Flying Tribal, but she has since switched over to the new Kangi, the Sky Warden, to just get some very straightforward beatdown. While we were in the process of uh, building the Ineas deck together, though, we really ran into some speed bumps with the card Nine Lives, which is showing up on really high percentage points for uh, for Ineas on her page. Nine Lives is that enchantment with Hexproof. It's like a three mana thing from M21 that can put counters on it instead of letting you take damage. But if it gets too many counters, then it will kill you, which is a dangerous thing. And the point of it is to synergize with Inez's ability in this deck, where Inez can give permanence away so that these negative effects from the Nine Lives card would instead be dealt to your opponents. The problem is that in our experience, among playing with my family, the little we've been able to do during quarantines and playing virtual EDH and stuff, giving stuff away with Inez is just not super reliable is the problem. It's actually kind of tough to trigger. And the more important point for that is to like use a grasp of fate or a dark steel mutation and give those away play a gravitational shift and maybe give that away but actually trying to set up a situation where you give away a negative permanent to another person with any ability just didn't seem super reliable and it kind of just ended up being a dead card so nine lives 41 percent of any decks i'm gonna challenge you there i don't think you should rely too much on any giving stuff away ability instead matt i'll kind of compare it to your vevictus as Madi. uh it's not always about setting up the top of your deck to find something to cheat into play with vevictus as Madi's ability sometimes with any too it's just about chaos warping other people's stuff it's just about destabilizing other people's stuff with any and i feel the same way about vevictus so that's i think where you should focus on a little bit more there with regards to this particular challenge yeah, if I get to cheat something big and nasty and to play with Vivictus's ability, that's just gravy. Managing the board is is always a little bit more important with pretty much any deck, but I do like this pick on those grounds just of you want to do something that you can do reliably and nine lives probably isn't the most reliable thing you can be doing. So that is a good pick. All right, let's move it to yours now. Well, my pick comes courtesy of a patron, friend of the podcast, uh, Josh Swope. Uh, we were having a conversation on Twitter earlier today, and Josh brought up a very interesting card in a situation that I hadn't really thought of. And now that I look at it more, it, it's more and more appealing. Uh, that card is Inspiring Statuary. Uh, th that is a three mana artifact and just says non-artifact spells you have have Improvise which means basically you can tap any given artifacts that are on your battlefield to kind of help you pay for it. It's kind of like Convoke only with artifacts is the, the best way that I can explain it. But where Inspiring, Statu Inspiring Statuary should be popping up more in is in equipment decks. We were talking about uh, old Akiri, but new Akiri as well. Any equipment heavy decks are going to love this because you can still tap those equipments that you have on the battlefield to help pay those improvised costs on your commanders. Say, you know, Valduck does get removed from the battlefield quite a bit. Being able to tap my equipments on the battlefield to pay that commander tax is a pretty awesome ability. Also, one thing that I didn't really think of until I thought about it more was that it lets you save your mana from your lands to pay those equipment costs because you tapped all the artifacts on your battlefield that aren't normally mana rocks. It basically makes in equipment decks all those equipments that you have on 
on the battlefield into mana rocks, which is an insanely powerful ability because that is one of the biggest shortcomings of, say, a Boros deck might have is mana efficiency. Balin's one of the only real cards that cheats mana cost, so this helps get into that territory of you're skirting around what normally would have been a mana restriction and turning that into a bonus. Uh, inspiring statu Statuary shows up nowhere. It's not on the equipment theme page, it's not on Saram's page, not on Akiri's, not on Valdex, it's nowhere. There, it's only in 3,500 decks currently. Not very many at all. People need to be playing this more, especially in decks that kind of get mana hungry. I may put it in Valdex because it, I I like the card, but I'm just never going to be able to find a spot for it. Um, I think Josh Swope, awesome patron of the podcast, has helped me find very nice. Yeah, I'm looking through the page for it now and it really is showing up in stuff like Joyver, whether like Captain or Koza, like the Great Distortion, for example, which uh, don't like that's also a cool place for it, but they're not really focusing on the equipment like you just mentioned there. So equipment, really great synergy with that. Super on board. Yeah, it's, it's it was a fantastic find. So thanks, Josh, for uh, for helping us all out. All right, so I want to move back into our main topic, and I actually just mentioned the card Kozilek the Great Distortion, and remember how we made um, happy DJ of Jumbo Commander noises earlier? <laughs> well, we're about to make happy Ashlyn Rose noises now, uh, because we're moving to our top three. And full confession, the top three is kind of a bit of a cheat, but this is when we finally pushed past that CMC average of five, and uh, things got a little bit crazy because literally all. <laughs> Literally all of the Eldrazi commanders, the Ulamogs, the Kozileks, the Emrakul, showed up in this particular space. And we didn't want to drown things out with five of the slots belonging to Eldrazi. Uh, we wanted to condense it down into one. So our number three pick is all the Eldrazi commanders because they cost like 10 mana, they cost like 11 mana, they cost like 12 mana, they cost a whole bunch of mana, and they all play each other in their decks too. They have a huge density of really expensive creatures and really expensive Eldrazi and really expensive mana rocks and just really expensive everything. All of them average about 27 or so cards uh, with CMC of six or greater among all of their average decks. Really, really crazy. And it ranges from like a average mana cost of like 5 to 5.32. So they're really pushing that envelope up into some very high mana costs indeed. Yeah, well, and especially codes like the Great Distortion where you're able to discard all of your cards to counter spells. You want a diverse array. And if you want to counter that, you know, Selvala Stampede, mm -hmm. you got to have a six drop in hand. Otherwise, you know, Matt's going to get a whole bunch of value from that. So yeah, it... it the thing that surprises me with this, though, is how tightly knit they all are. Like, they're almost all going to be carbon copies. And obviously, there's going to be some flavor mixed in there. But how close these all were without any other commanders finding a way in between, you know, the, the bottom here and the top Eldrazi commander here. Yeah, I think really just the limited card pool available to a colorless deck mm -hmm. causes so much homogeneity between each of these lists. They physically can't look too different from each other because there's only so many cards for them to choose from. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the cards you're choosing from tend to be also other Eldrazi in addition to each other, <laughs> where, where something like Oblivion Sower as a six drop is really cheap and efficient. Right. So, I mean, they, just there's just almost no choice with this kind of a deck. You just have to run, you know, giant creatures. And yeah, we're, we're north of five for all four. Um, right. Which is fascinating to um, think about. You know, we talk about the average CMC of decks going down. That is not at all the case with these Eldrazi decks, which are really good decks. Like these, I've played against multiple different variants on this, and 
that CMC is not indicative of them being really casual or really weak or anything. No. They're really strong decks given how high those numbers are. What Didn't they just also get Forsaken Monument from the Zendikar yeah. set too? Yeah. Like a mana doubling thing for their colorless lands? Like, yeah, the, despite having high mana costs, they cast things efficiently and it is terrifying every time that they do. Um, Eldrazi might also make a, a recurring appearance, don't you think, Dana, for our number two yeah. uh, yep. commander coming up here in the number two slot as we go even higher among this mana cost journey who we got at number two uh number two we have joyra of the gitu um one and blue and red three mana total for a human wizard and joyra's ability here says you can spend two and exile a non-land card from your hand put four time counters on the exiled card and if it doesn't have suspend it gains suspend so it's another variant kind of on Perforos, but instead of sneak attacking it into play and then sacrifice again, you're suspending it and having it then get cast for nothing in four turns. Yep. So you're, you're, you tend to be, the deck tends to run giant creatures, oftentimes Eldrazi, things of that nature, mm. that you can spend two mana on to just exile, and then four turns later... Surprise Emrakul! <laughs> well, not too much of a surprise, because we do see it coming in the suspend, but yeah, her page is full of Eldrazi, and cards like Amanatu's Augury, and um, Eldrazi, and then stuff like Decree of Annihilation that you can also suspend, and then, oh, there's some more Eldrazi. Um, so yeah, very uh, very big stuff. If you're going to pay time instead of mana, you want the mana that you're cheating to be as big as it can be cheated. Yeah, and we're looking at an average CMC here of 5.32, <laughs> and 30 cards north of 6 CMC, 30. That's crazy. Well, Dana, I can do you one better, actually. Okay. Because we do have one more commander left to talk on this list. We do. Um, A converted mana cost, on the average, of 5.55, with 32 cards north or at the CMC level of 6. It's Jota, Archmage Eternal. Uh, So that is the allegedly Jeskai commander. Don't let people tell you otherwise, though. (laughs) Uh, But for one in Jeskai colors, you get a 4-3 human wizard with flying. Okay, but you can pay Wooburg, that is a white mana, blue, a black, a red, and a green, rather than pay the mana cost for spells that you cast. So that kind of lends itself to casting more big, crazy, powerful Eldrazi, but also cards like Omniscience and Progenitus sneak their way into this Jota deck because why pay, you know, 10 mana when you can just pay five? Just half the yeah. cost of Progenitus, guys, with Jota Archmage Eternal. <laughs> so insane. The Ultimatums are another interesting find on Jota's page, too. Yep. Uh, just all of those, like the, the Mardu Ultimatum that destroys all of the stuff your opponents control. The uh, Like, just, you know, if you're, why, th- there's no mana restriction on these, necessarily. It's just the five mana. You got your Fist of Suns commander, who just lets you pay five simple mana. All you have to do is make five mana, and you don't have to worry about strenuous mana costs or exacerbated, you know, high CMC cards. It's just five. It's just five. It's an omniscience for five mana. Who would have thought that Wooburg was an easier converted mana cost (laughs) to pay than some of the spells that you happen to find in a Jota deck. But turns out... Um, just getting one of every color is a lot easier than whatever the ultimatums require. Yeah, and man, that average CMC, the average curve of 5.55, that is the cap. That's the uh, the range that we're dealing with here. That's really, really crazy high. And I feel like it takes a lot to actually push it up to that level, actually, looking at all of the stuff on Joda's page. Um, so, man, that's high. And I just really hope that you got enough ramp. <laughs> 
enough ramp and enough fixing man it's it's a very mana intensive deck like having to pay you know exactly wooberg every time to cheat something into play um it's it's specific it so it really is so we just looked through the commanders uh comparing and contrasting their average cmc across all of the cards in their deck but there's actually some other fun information that we kind of wanted to go through too when we looked at the commanders that have the greatest number of a certain cmc card slot basically rather than just going by their average because there are some commanders where you know the average was quite high but a lot of it was condensed there in the middle or their average was quite high but that's because the top end was high and then it was kind of balanced out by a bunch of cards at the low end as well but if we just kind of look at some of the commanders that have the uh, the greatest number of let's say 10 drops for example well we actually got to see that Joyra of the Gitu has the most number of 10 drops or when you looked at and this is the one that I'm really eager to talk about the commanders that have the most nine drops in their deck Joda did show up there again with six nine drops in his deck but so did Yannette. Yannette had five nine drops in her deck because she loves to play really awesome stuff like Void Winnower. There's been way too many Eldrazi in this episode, I think. But y'all, I really enjoy playing Yannette and then flipping a Void Winnower 9CMC off the top and casting it for free and preventing you guys from doing anything to me. It's great. Well, you know what? Is there, There's another commander on this list that has quite a few eight drops mm -hmm. that you don't have to do anything either. So you can just do Kali of the Vast, just sneak everything into play. Mm -hmm. and don't have to worry about casting any of these big expensive eight drop demons or dragons or angels or whatever you're putting into that deck um there's five eight drops in the average kalia deck and that's that's tops among eight drops she does love her some avison she really really does avisons some uh some rune scar demons and all sorts of just big crazy things <laughs> very much uh commanders with the most seven drops there's actually kind of a tie there too um and it's all the stuff that we talked about earlier joda kalia perforos uh the bronze blooded all showed up there uh uh, having 11 seven drops in their deck each, which is just like, okay, whoa. Um, and another fun thing came up with some dragons when we started looking at the commanders that have the most six drops. We saw Karthus earlier when we talked at the uh, number 10. Karthus has 12 six drops in his deck, but so does Intet the Dreamer, which is the teamer dragon that can play stuff off the top of its deck for free too. So Intet is also playing a pretty healthy number of cards that it can probably cast pretty regularly, but that also feel really great to cheat into play if you can. And uh, Dana, do you think you could tell us about the commanders that run the most four drops and five drops? Um, we would still be here when the uh, next set rolls around <laughs> in January and we lose our whole vacation. So I'm just going to just blow past that and say there's too many to go into in the four and five drop uh, slots. It was a large way tie. We can yes. simply put it that way. A it's a large very, way tie. Who a large wrote that way script? Was it me? <laughs> Um, also, though, hilariously, this one's um, just an extra fun thing that I kind of noticed, because when we're talking about all of the high CMC for each of these commanders, I kind of wanted to take a look at, you know, what's happening at the low end as well. And hilariously, I was able to find two commanders who, on average, only play one card at the low end, one card with a converted mana cost of one. And we all know which can which card that would be. There's, you know, the card that has a converted mana cost of one that everyone plays in their decks. It's Soul Ring. So there are two commanders here where the only one drop that they play is a Soul Ring. And those commanders are both Soul Tie. They're Yarok the Desecrated and Kadena Slinking Sorcerer. So aside from Soul Ring, those commanders play no other one drops. And you know what? I just thought that that was kind of funny. They're not among the top 10 with the highest, uh, you know, the highest mana curves and stuff like that. But they, uh, they do still apparently... They don't like one drops very much now, do they? No, they definitely do not. Um, I was a little surprised to see th those two on the list of all things, too. I was 
would not have been what I would have guessed. Me either. So this was a bunch of fun to go over the, you know, the biggest and the punchiest and the hugest of the cards in EDH. But guys, I kind of want to get if you have any final thoughts about big spells and high mana curves in EDH. Uh, Dana, do you have any other thoughts about like the the viability of playing them, for example? I know that I've heard of plenty of other shows talk about, you know, can you still play these really expensive cards or do you have to be, you know, a little bit more careful about that? And just how, you know, we talked earlier at the beginning of the show, how mana costs are trending downward. Kind of just take, I want to take your temperature about how you feel about high cost cards in Commander nowadays. I, I think you can still play them. I think you need to be a little bit judicious about how many of those things you run. Um, I, I just built a mono black deck, for example, and I was looking for board wipes and I, I wanted to run a Decree of Pain, um, which is, you know, an eight mana to cast. Well, if I'm going to run De Decree of Pain, I don't want something like Ingerux Wake. I don't want two board wipes that cost eight mana or probably two cards in general that cost eight mana. Um, but I'm okay with having one or two of those in a deck, um, you know, a couple six and seven drops as well. I, I don't think you have to be too focused on only running things that are that are super, super low. See, you're just... Speaking all the things against what I built in my most recent deck, my Vivictus Asmati deck, um, which is like the curve starts at four. So, <laughs> right. uh, it, but and I, I think that's a good point, though. Like, I, I do think I, I say that, um, but you know, I, I have a Sphinx Tribal deck that's just under four average CMC, mm -hmm. um, in part number one, because Sphinxes tend to be very expensive. Sphinges, excuse me, that's the uh, plural of oh, no. Sphinx <laughs> oh, is no. Sphinge. Um, with a G. No. Um, but, um, so, the, so that's part of the issue there. But the deck is also kind of a control deck. It's, it's running a lot of removal, um, you know, quite a few counter spells that slows the game up. Not a painful amount, but enough where it's not nearly as bad to cast those things. So you absolutely can run those higher CMC things in the right deck if your play style is built and adjusted to doing so. Well, and, and like you said, Dana, you're, you're playing your big expensive Sphinxes in a control deck that you you want to get the game out to a point. Sphinges. Sphinges, yes, excuse me. Um, but in, in my Vevictus deck, like I'm playing Sneak Attack and Perforous Bronze-Blooded, mm -hmm. cards that let me cheat around the mana cost. You bet. And, and so that's how I kind of justify it. And just because like, I mean, that deck just makes me so happy on all the timmiest of levels. <laughs> so, it, yeah, just depending on what the deck is, like you can you can still find ways to build decks with all these high CMC as you know, that's kind of why we went over this whole list of commanders anyways, because there are commanders that still are doing it and doing it well. And they're they're fun, efficient decks. And it's weird to think of a, a deck as efficient while also having a CMC average of five or more. So um, yeah. finding ways to skirt those CMCs is something that decks can do. I would also say you don't want to get probably too hung up on the exact numbers here. Like, yes, definitely. There's situations where you're playing a gruel deck that's running a Galt to Primal Hunger and a the Great Hinge and Blasphemous Act, all right. of which have really high CMCs. Except they don't. Like, you're casting Galta for two mana, and you're casting Blasphemous Act for one or two mana generally, and you're casting the Great Henge for a couple mana. So yes, on paper, those have really high CMCs, and they may make your deck look like it's at a 3.5 or something, but the reality is it's probably closer to a, you know, high 3.3H or something in that range. So like, 
don't fixate too much on your exact numbers because there's a lot of fluidity in there. Similarly, you might have a deck that's running a bunch of X spells mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, my deck's you know sitting at 2.5. Well, it's really not because you're not casting those where X is zero very often. Very frequently, you're casting X as you know four, five, six, or even more. So um, I, I will just say, realize those numbers aren't necessarily exact numbers. Very much. I'm really glad that you brought that up because like I can't remember the last time that I cast Cyclonic Rift for two mana, for example. I, I don't tend to play that on turn two, even when I do cast it for two mana. Uh, so that's also a thing to be aware of is like where things actually fall in your mana curve is really something that you want to be very cognizant of. And actually, like if you are arranging your deck out and you want to like try and figure out what your mana curve is supposed to be, put the cards in the slot where you're actually going to pay as much mana for them realistically and not just whatever their mana cost says on the top right hand side. Yeah, that, that's a good tip is when building the deck and if you're a, a visual person laying everything out, put those X spells into, okay, well, I'm going to assume the average CMC of this is going to be six. Mm-hmm. So put it in that spot just so that you're you're mentally thinking of it as a six CMC spell instead of just a one or two, because like you said, Joey, you're never casting X for zero. No, I think, too, that there's one other point that I kind of want to bring up here as well. So sort of like our understanding about mana curves does tend to be that they kind of are a bell curve that crowds up in the center, especially around like the three or the four drop uh, slot. It tends to be where we see a lot of the cards sort of gather up when we are organizing our decks. We don't have a whole bunch of one drops. We don't have like a bazillion nine drops or eight drops or anything, but we do have a lot sort of in the middle. And it's a fun thing to sort of discover sometimes. And maybe this is because I play so many necromancy decks that I discover it as easily as I do, but I've got plenty of decks where it doesn't look like a bell curve when I set things up. It actually is kind of wonky or inverted in some cases. I've got Yannette, for example, that doesn't have as much crowding in the center because I'm really focusing on those big high drops. And so I actually have a lot more on the low end instead. Or I've got the Mimeoplasm who wants to have a whole bunch of really expensive stuff to cheat back into play that I'm never actually casting with any of my mana. So it's just kind of a fun thing to sort of discover there too, is that the shape of a mana curve can also be completely different from deck to deck there as well. And there's no correct quote unquote way to have a mana curve distributed. Well, next week's show, we're going to look at the opposite of this, the decks with the lowest CMC. So we can see if there's anything interesting, we can pull out that information as well. Yeah, indeed. Tune in next week. We'll be talking about all of those commanders that have the lowest curves instead of these big, huge swingy ones. So we'll see what we can uncover. It should be a good time. With that, though, what I think we need to do is uh, call this episode to a close. Fellas, if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. Come in, watch some paper games being played over the internets. It's a wild world we live in, so we're just trying to bring a little more paper magic to it. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitterbirds at Dana Roach. Uh, you can hear me once we come on other podcasts, CMD or Central. You can read my articles at EDH Rec, and you can find all of us at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me on Twitter at Joseph M. Schultz, and you can find the cast on Twitter or on Facebook at EDH Recast. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out again to Josh LeQuiet and the entire team at the Command Zone Podcast who handle all of the post-production work on our podcast too. And of course, our thanks to our sponsors, that's TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDH Rec or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDH Rec, and that shows your support for the show. Listeners, We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Hey!